Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to yet another edition of TV7 Editor's Note. I'm Jonathan Hassan, of course, and joining me for this uh, program today include, uh, of course, Colonel and Reserve, Dr. Iran Lerman, and Ambassador Dania Elon, TV7's favorites, uh, if I may add, uh, uh, among other programs that you're and involved with. fans of Jonathan, of you. Well, I'm, I'm humbled. Uh, nonetheless, I'm... Uh, I don't know even how to translate that. Katonti. Uh, uh, don't, don't belittle yourself. Don't, don't try to. All right. Um, we'll start with prayer as uh, we have a long list of issues that I'd like to discuss in today's uh, edition. Uh, of course, you uh, hosted a, a Middle East Review last uh, night, um, provided quite uh, the interesting uh, holistic overview of the the geostrategic challenges that Israel faces uh, at this uh, time. Of course, Iran always is a focus of, of malign behavior in this region. But I'd like also today to focus on the internal uh, subject. I hold here uh, the bill uh, to amend the Constitution that uh, was passed in the Constitution law and... Uh, um, Committee of the Knesset. The Committee of the Knesset, yes. Uh, anyways, but before we do that, if I may, uh, we always start this program with prayer, and I'd like to invite all of you at home to join me as well. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here together with Iran and Dani and to uh, have the opportunity to really communicate about the challenges that Israel faces today. We ask that you guide our conversation, that uh, we'll truly be able to um, bless all uh, watching us today and do so in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, uh, I'd like to start with uh, Iran, um, if I may. This is an open discussion, and uh, I think to a certain degree, um, it's also important to set the foundations for this discussion, as three of us were conservatives, um, at heart at least. Uh, and uh, I think to a certain degree, within the conservative camp, there are always the different levels, uh, and a certain spectrum in there. But it seems that many of the conservative camp, even though they agree with the reform or with a reform, which is necessary uh, to restore the balance of power within Israeli um, governance, so to speak, um, the manner in which this reform was brought forward and, and pushed was uh, within the framework of politics, a very clear strategy that was uh, carefully devised and um, quite literally almost tore the country apart and still is quite a challenging attempt. True enough. I have a good friend uh, who's been one of the leading lights of the conservative camp in Israel, Asaf Sagiv, who's many years uh, the, the editor of Trelet uh, of Azur, perhaps the, uh, the standard bearer of Israeli conservative, conservatism at Shalem when it was still a, a, a think tank, mm-hmm. now the college in which I teach. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he said quite clearly that the, a conservative looks very carefully before leaping into a revolutionary uh, action. Uh, the, I think the hallmark 
of conservative thought is avoiding adve- untested adventures, Look, st- looking very clearly as we advanced, as we advance on, uh, on, on a, a path of change. And many people involved with the latest, uh, with the last three months of, of struggle in Israel feel very strongly that this was done in, in haste, in undue haste, and in a manner which alienated not only the, the left or the far left in Israel, but a very broad spectrum uh, within, the, uh, within the center. And therefore, uh, it is, at the end of the day, not uh, surprising that Prime Minister Netanyahu decided to uh, respond to the calls for a halt and for a negoti- an attempt, a serious attempt, at a negotiated outcome. Indeed. Danny? Well, first of all, let me say um, that I was quite <coughs> proud of the Israeli participations in the streets. And it wasn't left. They were not liberals. They were center people. I mean, there were hundreds and thousands of people in the streets. Well, there were plenty of liberals yeah. and extreme liberals there as yeah. well. But if you look at all, all the extreme liberals in Israel, I don't think there are more than 100,000. I don't know. I, I, I hope they're even less. But anyway, but no, this was even... Single-digit percentage. Single, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But here, Jonathan, even Likud voters participated now, why am I proud about it? Because you see that the Israelis you know, are very much concerned. I think it shows deep love to their country, to the nation. And they go out for values, no matter what they are, for values. You know, I juxtapose it against the uh, uh, demonstrations in Paris. What do the, the French go out to? For some benefits, you know, not to uh, not to uh, elevate the um, retirement age. You know, it's all about some benefits. Here it's about values. So I think it's really a very, very... On both um, sides. On both yeah. sides. On Absolutely. On both sides. So here I think it's a, a real um, mark of, uh, of maturity. Uh, and again, a, a, and of really patriotic sentiments in Israel. There's no doubt about it. And uh, maybe this is where the world should see. That when we get together, you know, you know, the people from the right and from the left, we are invincible. Unfortunately, you know, when uh, I see uh, Hezbollah and El Manar, they think Israel is uh, is imploding, you know, far from it. And if they were to miscalculate and maybe attack Israel, you know, all the wrath of Israel would turn against them. But uh, just like uh, Iran, I think that... Um, it was handled very badly. And I look at it, Jonathan, from... On both sides. On both sides, absolutely, absolutely. And I look at it from also a utilitarian uh, perspective, Mm. which means that we must be very much concerned. This is why when you do such a reform, you cannot just let it uh, be handled by uh, by, uh, legal people. You know, just as Clemenceau said that uh, in back in uh, in uh, 1918, that war is too serious just to leave it for generals. Mm. Here also, this judicial reform is too serious just to leave it for litigators or for judicial people. You have to have strategists, you know, in foreign policy, in military, in economy. And again, you from a utilitarian perspective, when you push this reform as it was based, you saw 
all the major economists of the world that were against it. Even though it's quite interesting, if I may interject, that everybody I spoke with in government, they all told me, and I'm talking about the inner circles who know <clears throat> what was happening behind those closed doors. They said, this is a reform that is presented to be compromised. Right. You know, right. Th there was a leeway intended to compromise, right. but the opposition didn't budge. Right. They didn't even want to talk with us about it. Yeah. So we couldn't just compromise about the points that we didn't even agree with. Right. You know, so first of all, uh, what you said about uh, Hezbollah and Al-Manar, it just indicates, and I think people give too much credit to the leader of Hezbollah, Hassan <laughs> about the degree in which he understands us because he doesn't understand he Israeli does society. Right. Right. But how do we un explain the complexities of Israeli society within the composition that we saw so magnificently displayed in, a, in a quite a serious sense. Let, let me give you the most obvious, obvious and, 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 and glaring example of how wrong he is. What turned out to be the symbol of the protesters against the government? I mean, it, it was fairly absurd to see that uh, uh, some people within the government called these, uh, the protesters anarchists. There may be a, a bunch of anarchists. There were communists there, 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 there were anarchists there. There, 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 anarchists, there, yes. there are elements there, but the mass came out with the national flag. Now, national flag and anarchism don't go together. Anarchists don't run around with, nas with their national flag. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it became a, a sentiment, a very, um, you could not, I've never in my life, I think, uh, seen uh, scenes like that of massive, massive identification with the most obvious si uh, national symbol, mm. the flag. So uh, Hassan if, if Hassan Nasrallah thinks that uh, 100,000 Israelis on one side and 50,000 Israelis on the other side, all of them with a national flag, in, indica indicates that Israel is uh, abandoning its commitment to national survival, he's dead wrong. I, I completely agree. I, I do think, though, that, again, trying to explain Israeli society to Americans who went through the horrendous public uh, uh, rioting and, and everything. And I'm talking about... And a civil war, just... Uh, well, just a hundred and... Just a hundred and some years ago. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll leave our dissertations about uh, Robert E. Lee and, and Jefferson Davis to another discussion. Um, when we're talking particularly about the Black Lives Matter so-called movement, that was a hijacked protest movement that had nothing to do with really trying to achieve equal rights for the public uh, because uh, it was truly plagued with political narratives and so on and so forth. And very quickly turned to be anti-Semitic. Absolutely. But uh, suddenly I saw a lot in social media, many people trying to make an equivalent between those going out to protests and the the radical left or the liberal left or uh, the so-called anti-fascist, those weren't those people going out to protest. No, no, no. I, I know many people from the most elite units who are quite not just on the right side of the aisle, but far right side of the aisle, who went out to protest, not about the reform, but about the necessity the man, for the unity. The manner in which it was done, right. the divisive manner. Yes. yes. How do we explain that to people at home who are not 
privy to, to the prism from which Israelis look? At the core of it is that there is a very broad base of support for the perspectives of the defense establishment in Israel, for example. Israelis admire and care for, for their soldiers. Uh, they, uh, and when the Minister of Defense was the man who, who uh, advised the Prime Minister to come to a halt, which ultimately the Prime Minister did do after firing him for what he considered to be uh, insubordination, uh, a lot of a lot of Israelis identified not with the left or with a radical position, but with that of the defense establishment, which he dismissed. But he didn't tender his. Yeah, he, uh, he he announced that he would dismiss him. We should. I don't. I don't know how this whole situation would, would play out at the end of the day. But it it, it showed that essentially the the voice of the. Uh, the, uh, the, the defense establishment of the voice of the uh, of those who not just the soldiers, the intelligence community, and others still resonates with the uh, with the great majority of Israelis, both sides of the aisle. So, where did this two camps emerge from? Because this was not necessarily about two camps. There are plenty of camps in the coalition. There are plenty of camps in the opposition. Um, there are conservatives in the coalition. There are, uh, I don't want to say liberals, but there are socialists in uh, the coalition. Uh, while in the opposition, you have both as well. So it is a, a, a mix, a whole yes. mass of, of ideas being, try, uh, being divided into two for some reason, which is not the sifas the of Israeli society. Um, well, I would say mosaic. that... Uh, mosaic. The mosaic, yeah. yeah. The, uh, I, I think that, Jonathan, the moment of truth will eventually, you know, come out at the president's uh, residence. You know, right now they're going into some talks, you know, the opposition with the coalition. So we may see split in the opposition between the socialists and those who are what I call centrists. And maybe on the other side, on the coalition, we will see also a split between those who are the hardliners and those who are softliners. But I think one thing that uh, the conservative camp should really be very proud and should take uh, a, a real solace at, that everyone in Israel now understands that a judicial reform is of necessary. That was not in the case. This was not on the on, on the table before. Not really in such Wasn't? a, not That's in good. such a, uh, not in such I'd say poignant way. Mm. Now nobody, now I would say it's almost politically not correct mm. to talk against a total uh, reform. However, and again I go back, Jonathan. I must go back to this utilitarian because mm. what was the concern? And I think why so many military people and the pilots went against it because they realized that the independence of the court in Israel is their best shield, iron political or, or a judicial iron dome, as you will, against international inquiries. Because the, the, the court in Israel is very much respected, and according to the ICC, the International Criminal uh, uh, Court, uh, they take cases only where there are failed countries or there are countries who do not have a judicial which is independent. Just to... to uh Translate that into layman's terms. There was a amendment to a bill that basically 
wanted to shield soldiers from international inquiries and as mm-hmm. well as domestic inquiries from ver- various legal proceedings. And the military said, no, we want to be investigated because... Here and not in Hague. Exactly. Uh, it, yeah. it basically, investigating, having commissions in Israel, investigating us, we know that it's a fair trial rather than having now trials by potentially the, the prosecutor in, uh, in uh, The Hague who happens to be a Brit married to one of the daughters of the biggest Salafist movements uh, uh, or the leaders of one of the biggest Salafist movements in the world. So uh, there is logic into that. And the government was tentative to those matters, though. As you know, I happen to be also the editor-in-chief of a magazine, the Jerusalem Strategic Tribune. Uh, interestingly, uh, published by a Moroccan Muslim friend of the staunch friend of Israel. We carried a piece by Alan Dershowitz, who's uh, certainly not uh, uh, a left-wing advocate of any sort, a uh, good friend for many years of, uh, of the prime minister, who basically said, this is Israel. Israel should be very cautious in moving forward on, on, on anything that raises questions about the independence of the judiciary. The makeup of the judiciary could change. It should be more representative. It should change. It should change. It should be more representative of the broader spectrum of Israeli society. It, it tended, although although this change actually has begun in recent years, uh, when when she was uh, Minister of I Justice, Ayala Chakir did, did appoint a number of conservative judges, mm-hmm. maybe not conservative by the lights of, of uh, more of more of. of, of some of the promote, promoters of the uh, current form of reform, but co- certainly conservative. Uh, mainline conservatives. Mainline conservatives. And, uh, and uh, it should continue to change, to reflect an Israeli society, which is certainly more conservative than the current outlook of the court. But at the same time, it must remain fiercely and, and, and uh, evidently independent. Indeed. Well... We look at current domestic affairs, though, and we're talking about the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is problematic. It is a progressive, activist institution. Well, has been and started changing a bit too late. I mean, it was very much an aggressively progressive uh, court until 2012 when Garnis became uh, Chief Justice, mm-hmm. and there was some modification. And there have been further modifications since, but there is still a core ethos there that's, uh, that still reflects uh, the attitudes of Aaron Bar- uh, Barak in the 90s, which, uh, which require a modification, definitely. Indeed. Um, I, you know, I, I had conversations with leaders all over the world about this particular um, question of electing judges and uh, the, the judicial institutions compared to Israel. And... They're all progressive, wherever you look, you know. Um, maybe Israel can be a, a light to the nation in showing how to change that. Uh, well, I think the U.S. Supreme Court now is quite conservative. Conservative majority, not conservative. Majority, solid conservative, right. conservative majority. And as we saw mm. on, uh, on the over- overturn of Roe versus Wade, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, conservative... Uh, but uh, reflecting a deep spectrum of opinion, uh, and, and that's what we also need uh, 
in Israel. Mm-hmm. But another thing that we need is, is also the versatility or the variety. It's not just a matter of conservatives versus um, liberals, but it's also to represent, and it should represent, the uh, entire gamut of uh, the Israeli uh, society segments. You know, uh, right now, for instance, uh, the argument is, and rightly so, out of 15 justices in the Supreme Court, 14th are Ashkenazi. Oh, and so only one that, is there's one, there's one Arab? And, and one, one Arab, of, yeah, one, uh, one Arab. Ashkenazi Arab. Yeah, and, 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 <laughs> he's an Ashkenazi. By the way, we were, we were uh, so undergraduate Middle Eastern Studies at okay. the University, Khaled, uh, yeah. Kabub. And, uh, so certainly we need to see a tweaking or perfecting as much as possible, and there is no perfect uh, system, of uh, electing the, uh, the judges. Uh, you know, I, I believe in electing judges per merit. And, and ultimately, everybody has his own track record. And within that composition, obviously, there is a necessity to to project a certain understanding of society. And by doing so, uh, obviously, you'll have more diversity uh, within such a diverse sure. uh, country as Israel. You're, you're uh, right. But when you look for merit, you should focus not only on one ethnicity. I mean, no, merit course. is Absolutely. everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I... I I have an issue always with uh, diversity, speaking about diversity. It's always about merit, and it should reflect society. And if it reflects society, uh, matters of race have nothing to do with intellect. Absolutely. So that's uh, that's at least my opinion, but, you know. Um, Looking at Israel today, do we head towards the right direction also, considering the challenge that we're facing right now <coughs> on our northern front? Of course, we see in Syria a rapprochement with Saudi Arabia, with the United Arab Emirates. We see, of course, Iran swooping in in multiple capacities, discussions uh, mediated by the Russians between Turkey and, and Syria. Israel is uh, once again a jungle in the Middle East. Well, we are facing a very complicated landscape, but we are also doing it from a position of fundamental strength. It could have been undermined if, if, if the internal turmoil continued, but if it subsides and we move to a more stable base, the Israeli economy is very robust. Israeli technology remains in a, in a, for, in a forward position worldwide. Regional players continue to seek our friendship. Uh, in the midst of all of this, uh, the UAE and Israel signed a free trade agreement. Uh, Morocco, which faces Iranian subversion in support of the Sahara insurgents, uh, has come to Israel for, for help uh, in, in military matters and so on. Of course, economically, uh, for various reasons, uh, Israel actually crossed the threshold of being uh, per, uh, per capita, not only richer than Japan, that's been the case for some years, but on par or maybe above Germany. I mean, this is, these are amazing basic foundations to build on if we can put our house in order, uh, seek reasonable compromises, and concentrate on our uh, external challenges. Actually, funny uh, story, the, the ambassador of uh, Finland published uh, uh, the fact that Israel is the, uh, excuse me, that Finland is the number one happiest country in the world, or at least Finns are. Um, and then I, I went through the list and I saw that Israel is number four. Yes. Right. So apparently yes. we're just very about, happy. Just about the Netherlands, which is also quite remarkable, 
a foreign which country. Which degraded from number three. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and by the way, and, and second here in our region, I think was uh, the Emirates, which are number 26. So you mm. see the gap in the region between Israelis and all the others. You know, we believe in hope. We believe in ourselves. And just to all the assets that Israel still has very strongly uh, building on is also that we keep pumping gas from our uh, international water, from our uh, uh, gas fields and uh, probably more. To come. And yet we need to learn how to divert that from Israel to Europe in Absolutely. one way or another that doesn't need to go through liquids, uh, containers from Egypt elsewhere, Absolutely. even though it's good to uh, bless uh, our Egyptian some neighbors. interesting ideas like building a floating LNG uh, platforms in mm. uh, at sea. That's that's one possibility. Reduce because the yeah. the uh, actually a pipeline is extremely complicated. Right. Maybe if if the international crisis continues, it may become worthwhile economically to mm. do so, but, but it is a questionable proposition. So float, uh, and, and LNG is, uh, let's say, very flexible. You can bring it everywhere where there's a need, rather when you're stuck with a pipeline, you're, you're bound to, to one mm. uh, exit point. So there are all kinds of interesting ideas, as long as we, as I said, we can put our house in order and concentrate on what's good for us and for the better parts of the region who cooperate with us. It's very biblical. It says in the Bible that, uh, you know, we should, uh, if our house is not in order, leave the ministry, go deal with your house, and only after that come back. So uh, I think many people uh, watching us right now can relate. Uh, Ambassador Ayalon, um, from an international perspective, are we still a pariah state in certain circles, or are we improving? Uh, I don't think we're improving yet, but certainly after we will show unity here, we will improve immensely. One last thing is that I'm afraid we see some cracks in our deterrence vis-a-vis -vis Hezbollah, and it all stems from Iran, maybe because of the uh, agreement with the, the Saudis, because of their <coughs> running through and, and getting this uh, enrichment. Uh, so the Hezbollah may miscalculate. We saw it uh, as expressed in this uh, deep penetration of a probably Hezbollah terrorist mm -hmm. to, uh, to, to Israel. Luckily, uh, it was uh, averted, you know, a major a disaster. We have to watch our northern border. Of course, uh, there was one uh, young Arab, 21-year-old, uh, who was blinded, uh, unfortunately, by blinded, unfortunately. It's a disastrous story, of course. But nonetheless, uh, thank you so very much for being here. Of course, I encourage uh, everybody watching uh, on a monthly basis, uh, Ambassador Daniel Yalon, former Israeli ambassador to the United States and deputy foreign minister, as well as Dr. Iran Lerman, a longtime military intelligence officer, uh, who was also, among others, the deputy director of uh, Israel's National Security Council uh, on a monthly basis, have their Middle East review. You can watch also uh, the show that uh, was broadcast yesterday with a very interesting uh, discussion there. Thank you very much. I'd like also to thank all of you for partaking uh, in today's uh, uh, discussion. Yet again, uh, an episode of Editor's Note. Until next time, from here in Jerusalem, shalom. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.